podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob, and this is episode 23, Caesar Gets Impatient. So, before we begin, I just wanted to say, dang, I made a huge mistake on the last episode. I said we were near 150, but we're actually closer to 400 followers now on Twitter. That's amazing, guys. Thank you so much for the support. I'm really blown away by this. So, for those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I hope you enjoy it. Alright, so where were we? Well, Julius Caesar had been dealing with the Gauls and pushing them to the Atlantic, crushing the Gauls who rebel under his feet. Meanwhile, the Germans had been raiding and then selling themselves to the highest bidder as soldiers. We talked a bit about what Caesar's response was, and that was simply to boost presence in the region, have his troops out there serving as deterrents to raids to Germans crossing the Rhine. Not really solving the problem, but giving Caesar some relief. However, we're now going to be talking about when this fails. When a massive German threat once again, crosses the Rhine. In this case, it's the Eusepi and the Tancterian, and they throw all of Caesar's plans in jeopardy. So, why did these two come into Caesar's domain? Why are they here? Is it for fame? Wealth? Glory? No, they got pushed into Rome. They got pushed into Gaul. Now, today, we don't consider the Eusepi and the Tancterians as Germanic. In fact, from looking at their names and from where they're coming from, we believe that they're mainly Celtic in origins. However, at the time, for Caesar and the Gauls, they would have seen these as outsiders crossing the Rhine, a.k.a. Germans. Now, just like the Simbri, who we've talked about before, these two tribes have been kicked out of their homelands. However, while the Simbri were possibly kicked out due to environmental issues, we know that for the Eusepi and the Tancterians, they were kicked out because of the Suevi. Now, the Suevi is a massive tribe that Caesar believes to be, quote, by far the largest and most warlike nation of all the Germans. They are said to possess a hundred cantons, from each of which they yearly send from their territories for the purpose of war a thousand armed men. Unquote. And by the way, this is by no means the full power that this tribe can launch. These are just the raiders, the mercenaries that this tribe sends out every year. The majority of their men will stay home maintain the farms, make sure the villages are safe from other Germanic tribes or from Gallic tribes across the Rhine. This is a pretty powerful tribe in Caesar's eyes. So it's safe to say that if they're being able to send out a thousand men a year, well, this is one of the major thorns in Caesar's side as he's trying to put down the Gallic rebellions. Now, the tribes that were coming towards him and the Suevi themselves, 
they had mastered horsemanship, or at least in Caesar's eye, they had. Quote, Those poor and ill-shaped animals which belonged to their country, unquote, were trained to the point that the warriors could, quote, frequently leap from their horses and fight on foot, and train their horses to stand still in the very spot on which they leave them, unquote. Now, dismounted cavalry has always had the issue that you can't leave your horses unattended because they could bolt. They could leave you there to die. This is why it became military practice to have one man stay back for every three, four, or five and hold on to the reins of his fellow troopers while they went ahead on foot. This puts the cavalry force at less than full strength, to be sure. But... If what Caesar says is true, well, then these Germans have solved a problem that we were never able to. Anyway, this strong tribe, the Swabi, have crushed the Eusipes and the Tantarians, who had been surviving for years as neighbors. But now they've been kicked out, they need to find a new home, and so just like the Simbri, they're being pushed towards the Rhine and Caesar's fragile dominion in Gaul. Along the way, they run into this tribe called the Menipi. The Menipi sat on both sides of the Rhine, and they served as a decent trading tribe between the Germans and the Gauls. Probably another intermixed tribe as well. When the Eusipes and Tecteris arrived at the outskirts of the Menipi's land, well, the Menipi just simply abandoned the German side of the Rhine. They took all of their boats with them, they took whatever they could carry, and they just left the villages on the Germanic side of the Rhine. Now clearly, the Menipi didn't feel like they were able to successfully defeat these two tribes. Luckily enough for them, they had a barrier, the Rhine, that they could retreat behind and wait out the threats on the far side. Now, most of the homes on the Germanic side would have been looted, would have been pillaged, probably a couple of them were destroyed. But the important thing for them was that their tribe was safe, their people were safe. And at this point, Caesar informs us that the two tribes turn around and they march away. And that could have been the end of the story. We might not have even heard of the story, period, if it ended that way. But it turns out those two tribes were deceiving the poor Menipe as they came back across the Rhine. You see, the Menipe were too quick to cross. They were too quick to go back. Eusipes and the Tenctari marched slowly away for three days. And then when word reached them that the Menipe had come back across the river, well, they immediately sent their cavalry back in the night. And they sprinted the distance back towards the Menipe, quickly overwhelmed the unsuspecting villagers, captured the ships, crossed the Rhine, and set up shop on the Gallic side. A new German though really more Netherlands or Belgic, but a new threat from across the Rhine had arrived. 
And Caesar was not happy. At this point, he was probably frustrated and a nervous wreck. Gaul was a rebellious nightmare. And now a new force of supposedly superb warriors were now on his side of the Rhine in force. Not a small group of mercenaries, not a small bandit group, an army. And they were looking for a new home. Caesar, quote, fearing the fickle disposition of the Gauls, unquote, could not let this threat remain. He could not allow the Germans to gain allies, to build strength. Something would have to be done or else a new rebellion among the Gauls would rise up and they would rally behind these Germans as word would spread. Now, in order to quickly put down this threat, Caesar leaves for the front before campaigning season begins. And this is something I want to keep in mind for the rest of the episode. Caesar is rushing. He feels a time constraint. He knows that if he doesn't take care of this fast enough, it could be a massive disaster. And so as we continue talking about Caesar, as we continue reading from his collection of works on the Gallic rebellions, keep in mind that at this point, he seems very desperate. He seems worried. Despite the fact that Caesar left so early, it was still too late. By the time he reached his army in Gaul, he received word that several of his supposedly loyal Gallic leaders had reached out to the Germans and had agreed to give them whatever they wanted. As long as they agreed to eliminate the Romans, and I'm sure a couple of them wanted the Germans to bring Caesar's head on a plate. Now, Caesar was in an awkward position. He has information that those who are supposed to be working for him, who have the loyalty of those in the region, are working against him, have reached out to an enemy. Caesar would be in his rights to call them traitors and execute them. But if he does that, if he goes through with this, then it would make the rebels actively fight against Caesar rather than trying to get others to fight against Caesar. And even if he's still able to put down the Germans after executing these rebels, well, those he doesn't catch in the initial swoop, well, they're going to keep fighting because they have nothing to lose. They know that Caesar knows and they know that Caesar probably isn't going to forgive them. And so Caesar, despite his haste, despite his worry, he does do this right. He calls a council of war and he pretends that he has no idea that the Gauls have reached out to the Germans. He pretends that they're still loyal to him. He orders that they collect supplies for the army, gather up cavalry, and then they are going to march on towards these mercenary Germans. No time 
to negotiate, no time to plan, just gather what you can, we're on the road. Time is of the essence. Now, as the Romans marched towards the Germans, the Germans did something that had they known where Caesar was mentally, they would have never done. They had split off part of their forces to go raiding, to forage. And this included a large portion of their elite cavalry. And so as the Roman army rushed towards the Germans, well, Caesar tells us that ambassadors came to speak to him from the Germans, stating that, quote, that the Germans neither make war upon the Roman people first, nor do they decline. If they are provoked to engage with them, the Romans, in arms, for this was the custom of the Germans handed down to them from their forefathers, to resist whatsoever people make war upon them, and not to avert it by entry. This, however, they confessed, that they had come hither reluctantly, having been expelled from their country. If the Romans were disposed to accept their friendship, they might be serviceable allies to them, and let them either assign them lands, or permit them, the Germans, to retain those which they had acquired by their arms. That they are inferior to the Swabi alone, to whom not even the immortal gods can show themselves equal. That there was none at all besides on earth whom they could not conquer. Unquote. Okay, longer quote. Let's break it down. Here's what our two German tribes are saying. A. We won't attack, but we will defend ourselves. B. We got kicked out of our country, but we would gladly work with you and trade for some land. C. Uh, don't mess with us, because only the Swaby have beaten us, and not even the gods will mess with them. So, huh, that means we're pretty powerful. Now, some of you might be going, huh, this sounds a little familiar. And you're right. This is pretty much what the Sembri were telling the Romans. Hey, we got kicked out of our lands. We're looking for a new home. Find us a new place. Let us settle there. We will work for you. What do you think Caesar is going to say to this? Do you think he'll have the same response as the Romans before him? Or do you think he's going to go on a more diplomatic course? Well, he's not going with the second one. Quote, That he, Caesar, could make no alliance with them if they continued in Gaul. That it was not probable that they who were not able to defend their own territories should get possession of those of others. Nor were there any lands lying waste in Gaul which could be given away, especially to such a great number of men without doing wrong. But they might, if they were... Desirius, settle in the territories of the Ubi, whose ambassadors were then with him and were complaining of the aggressions of the Suevi and requesting assistance from him. Unquote. Not as long. But the breakdown again. There's no land for you here. 
There's no land in Gaul for people who can't even hold their own lands at home. So don't know what you're expecting here. All the land's being used. There's no one that Caesar wants to force to give up their lands. Best he can offer them is to send them back across the Rhine, back into Germany, where they can keep fighting this massive tribe that not even the gods would mess with. No offers of negotiation. No, okay, let's think about this. Let's talk it out. It's, nope, can't give you that. Best I can do is send you back across the Rhine. Maybe get you an ally over there, but it doesn't solve your problems. Now, this does sound familiar to the Romans' responses to the Simbri, which was, nope, you can't come here. Now, to be fair to Caesar, he doesn't immediately kill the ambassadors and attack the tribe while on the run. He doesn't do that now. The ambassadors say, okay, um, look, we'll talk about it. Give us a couple days, we'll get back to you. How about that? Caesar said, no. I know that you've split some forces off. I know that you're not at your strength right now. And that this could be just another delay tactic. So, you go back, you talk to your leaders, but I'm going to still be marching towards you. There is no truce for now. I'm still marching towards you, so you better have an answer prepared. Again, Caesar's not giving them any time. He's in a rush. He's trying to get this completed as soon as possible. He believes that there's more enemy cavalry out there that could turn the tide in a battle. And so instead of risking that, he's telling them, you have until I get there to agree. Pretty rough. Pretty rough. So Caesar, he continues to move towards the Germans. And just a couple of miles outside of the German camp, the ambassadors show up once more. And this time, they do the seem to be willing to accept Caesar's proposal. All they ask is that they be allowed to send ambassadors across the Rhine to talk to the Ubi, make sure that this was a deal that could actually work. And they just asked for three days in order to do this. But again, Caesar says no. Now, yes, you can go send your ambassadors to Ubi, but that he was expecting an answer by tomorrow. And that this problem would be ended one way or another. Time. Caesar's in a rush here. He's pressing these outsiders. He does agree that he'll stop his army four miles outside of the enemy camp. That's as close as they'll get. But he doesn't even keep that. While the rest of his army marches closer, but is planning to stop there, he sends his cavalry further ahead to where they're within sight of the camp. Now, Caesar says they don't have orders to engage. They do have orders to defend themselves, but they don't have orders to engage. And this force that Caesar has sent ahead is about 5,000 men, all of them cavalry. So a mixture of Roman, Gallic, maybe some Spanish, other parts of the Republic 
thrown in there as well. But this is their cavalry. Now, the Germans see this. And they panic. They think that Caesar has betrayed them. They think that Caesar's broken the deal. And it makes sense. If Caesar had agreed, hey, we're not going to get any closer than four miles, and now they're right outside the camp, I could see where you could think that he's um, he's not keeping his word. And so the Germans gather their cavalry, all that they have, which amounts to about 800. 800 cavalry at hand against 5,000. Because remember, the majority of this cavalry force was out foraging. And that's why Caesar knew he had the advantage. Now, does this start to sound like the Sembri a little bit? The Germans and the Romans have talked. Seems like they're coming up with a deal. And then the Romans have all of a sudden rushed the Germans, looking to eliminate them. This just seems like deja vu. The Germans charge the Roman cavalry. 800 against 5,000. They charge them. They don't want them near the camps. They don't want them near the families, the children, or loot. They don't want them near that. And this is what happens in Caesar's own words when the German cavalry attacks his own cavalry. He says that the Germans, quote, soon threw them, the Romans, into disorder. When our men in their turn made a stand, they the Germans, according to their practice, leaped from their horses to their feet, and stabbing our horses in the belly and overthrowing a great many of our men, put the rest to flight and drove them forward, so much alarmed that they did not desist their retreat till they had come in sight of our army. Unquote. 800 routed 5,000. 800 routed 5,000. Now Caesar also mentions that an Aquitanian who was considered a friend of the Senate was among the dead. And he would have had bodyguards. He would have been protected. But he was among the dead. This is how bad the fight went. And you need to realize this isn't coming from the Germans' point of view. This is coming from Caesar. The guy who lost the battle. And it's, it's not like he wants to diss himself, say, yeah, yeah, look at me back then. I, I lost the battle against 800 cavalry. He has no reason to do that. He's telling the truth here. His cavalry just got their butt spanked. Now, he does mention that his cavalry had only been moving up to see what was going on, put some pressure on the Germans... They had no orders to attack, but they did have orders to defend themselves, so they were expecting possible problems. And in fact, I bet Caesar was hoping that there would be problems. Give him the excuse to end this quickly. Because again, he's on a time crunch. Now maybe he had hoped that his cavalry could defeat the German force. And this accidental skirmish he wipe out the german fighting force and then he can finish off the camp at his leisure i mean after all he has a ratio of 25 men to every four germans and this small fight it should be an easy one for him 
but it's not. Germans have routed the larger Roman and Gallic cavalry force and killed one of its most important members at the time. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that after this fight, Caesar's going to remember about how powerful the German cavalry is. And this is why they play such an important part in his army, especially later on in the campaign. Caesar does take this skirmish as a sign that the Germans could not be trusted. Or at least that's what he says. I don't think so. I think he took this as an opportunity to claim that they couldn't be trusted. But he also believed that word was going to spread among the Gauls and they could switch sides. I mean, after all, they just saw this smaller Germanic force route the Romans. They don't like the Romans. Maybe this smaller, more manageable Germanic troops could help them. And so Caesar decided, we can't wait. Tomorrow we go in, we fight, we wipe them out. We end this now. And so he prepares for a fight, he makes plans, he sends it out to his commanders. They're all prepared for the next morning. At least, that's what they think they are. They think they're prepared for a fight. However, when the sun comes up, no one is more surprised than Caesar when he sees a group of Germans walking towards his camp unarmed. Apparently, this consisted of old men and the leadership of the two tribes coming to once again say, hey, sorry about yesterday. There must have been some confusion. Let's talk. Let's keep working on this treaty. Caesar believes, quote-unquote, that this was just another attempt of deception. He believed that they were just trying to spread lies, trying to make the Romans drop their guard so they could attack again. However, I don't know anyone stupid enough to send their entire leadership unarmed into the enemy camp just to deceive and trick them. You typically send in one, maybe two, and the rest form up the army to launch the surprise attack. Send everyone? Well, then who's going to launch that surprise attack, you know? No one's going to do that. I really believe that the Germans were trying to talk to Caesar. They were trying to negotiate this. But that's not what Caesar needed. That's not what he wanted. He didn't want a negotiation that could take time, that could turn the tribes against him. He needed it in this now. And so it was easier just to... Say that, hey, they're here to spread lies, arrest them, and then go finish off the camp, which is completely leaderless at this point. And so, that's what he does. He puts the leaders in chains, and he marches his army towards the German camp. The Germans are thrown in complete confusion. They don't have leaders to organize anything. They want to go talk to the Romans, try to end this. They're completely caught off guard when the Roman army is right there at the edge of the camp, prepared to fight. And so the Germans, they never stand a chance. A Caesar's army rushes into the camp and puts all of their people either to the sword or to slavery. It's a massacre. No, no way around it. Caesar massacred these two tribes. The Germans who could flee, well, they flee to the Rhine. Just as we talked about last week, 
the Rhine is seen as this haven. If you can get to the other side of it, the Romans, the Gauls, they can't get you there. But many are cut down by the Roman cavalry that are still kind of embarrassed about yesterday. Others drown in the river as they're trying to escape. The Romans have won their quote-unquote battle, but in reality, it's a massacre. It's anything but a battle. Yes, he shut down a possible menace. Yes, he's made sure that for now the Gallic leaders won't rebel, but he did it in such a way that is brutal and disgusting. This entire time he was constantly in a rush, never giving the Germans a chance to breathe, never sitting down trying to negotiate. It was always his way or the sword. And when the Germans tried to negotiate, he again didn't give them that chance. In the very end, he just arrested them and then killed the rest of the tribe. Now, I honestly believe that these two Germanic tribes, and again, I just call them Germanic because that's what the Gauls and the Romans would have considered, they did cross the Rhine in hopes of finding a new home. They didn't really want to have to fight the Romans for it. The word that Caesar receives about them being hired by the Gauls, maybe that happened. Maybe the Germans said, no, don't really want that. I mean, it makes sense for, on the German side if they said, no, we don't want that. And then they waited for the Romans. They tried to negotiate with the Romans and say, hey, we want to talk with you. We want to make the treaty with you. They were even ready to go back across the Rhine. But Caesar was impatient. He needed this done now. And this is something that we've seen in the past with Caesar. His patience will wear thin. And he probably did believe that the longer these two tribes were in Gaul, the weaker he looked. And if he agreed to their terms, then he risked looking like he couldn't hold any territory. So he rushed, he avoided negotiations, and he instead decided to force terms, provoke fights, and in the end, massacred the two tribes. Maybe the stress was being too much for him. And he honestly did want to see, in this case, betrayal rather than possible allies, just because it's what he's used to at this point. Whatever the case, Caesar is not done with the Germans. He's not done with those across the Rhine. He's realized that his policy of just holding the Rhine, having garrisons out, it's not working. And so he's going to try to find a more permanent solution to the German mercenary and bandit problem. And next week, we will discuss what happens when the Romans cross the Rhine. All right. I hope you all have a great week and that you enjoyed this episode. Please keep sending in suggestions for our new podcast on Germany logo art. You can send them to me at podcastongermany at gmail. You can also support the podcast by visiting the website and donating so that I can purchase books, maintain the website and our BuzzFeed, and work on projects like our new logo. 
thank you all for giving me a listen. And I'll see you next Tuesday.